Hebrews chapter 6, let's begin in verse 9. But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, He swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has endured or entered rather for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Let's pray together. Lord, we are so excited and look forward to hearing from you, Lord, today. We thank you for the preeminence of your word. And we, Lord, we ask that as we study it together, Lord, that you'd receive our study as an act of worship. And we pray, Lord, that as we study it, that your spirit would teach us and instruct us and make application of these things to our hearts. I pray that you'd encourage your people today. Encourage us, Lord. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Brood upon us. And help us, Lord, to understand all these things in a way that would bring you glory. We want our lives to bring you glory, Lord. That's what we want. And we thank you that you're going to use these verses to that end and further conform us into the image of Christ. Commit this time to you. We pray you'd set it aside for your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. In life, as you may know, uh, I'm very familiar with, there are ups and downs. There are struggles and there are difficult times. There are defeats. There are victories. There are times when we win. There are times when we lose. There are times when we think we're winning when we're losing. There are times when we're losing and we think we're winning. There's all kinds of struggles in this life. And so this world, if you're just a non-believer in this world, you face difficulty. Just, Just being a human, In this fallen world, you face difficulty, but for the Christian, life is even harder because you have to deal with all the things that the world deals with, and then added on top of that, you have to deal with the enemy and the ways of this world, the philosophy of this world, and, and your own sinful nature that before you became to know the Lord you weren't too concerned with uh, fighting and and dying to self and so forth. You have all these things fighting against us at any given time. And because of this, there are very specific times where we get very discouraged. How many of us have had times where you're you're so discouraged that it's hard for you to even breathe? Anyone here? I'm glad we're honest with each other. No one's in denial. Uh, That's good. I'm glad. We don't want to be in denial. So there are times when God knows that we, his people, we need him to come in 
lift our heads and just bring supernatural encouragement. And sometimes he uses others to do it. We love to be encouraged by other people, but we underestimate the power of our encouragement in the lives of other people. It's like a one-sided thing. We appreciate the power of it when it's coming towards us, but we don't appreciate the power of it when it's coming from us. And God wants to use us to encourage others. And this is one of those times where this writer that's writing to the book of Hebrews is being used by the Holy Spirit to encourage these Jewish believers, these Hebrew uh, Christians. And so as we've seen, they've endured persecution And they're not really enduring it very well now. And they're considering going back, denying the faith, rejecting Christ. But God comes in, and as we'll see in our verses today, he comes in at the perfect time. He's already encouraged them, and and, and he's also exhorted them, and he's he's leaned on them pretty significantly by the Spirit. And now he knows that they've probably maxed out a little bit, at least at this point, and they need some encouragement. And he's perfect at at doing that. So he's already been telling them about Jesus is better. He's warned them. He's given some serious warnings. But he knows that right now they need exhortation, yes, but they also need encouragement. And so today I want to highlight six reasons from verses 9 through 20 in Hebrews chapter 6 why we should be encouraged. And I've entitled this message, Help for Discouragement. Now, the first reason that we see in this passage um, that we should be encouraged is that God sends others who see things as God does. Look at verse 9. He says, but behold, or beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. So the writer has been sent by God into their lives to believe the best about them. Don't you love people that always believe the best about you? You want those people to be around you? Yeah, I would say so. I, I love when people are believing the best about me. Those are the people I kind of want to hang out with. <laughs> the people that believe the worst about me, not so much. I'd rather have them, you know, go off and do some other things and get around to me later. Uh, but it's very powerful when people believe the best about us. Now he begins the verse, notice he says, beloved. And this is the only time he says the word beloved in the entire epistle. And he, it's actually in the Greek, it's in the plural form. So he's speaking to all, the whole church. Beloved, and, and it's such a, a term of endearment. He uses the word agape here. And he's saying, you're, you're wonderful to me. I love you. I care about you. Agape is the most intense love that the Bible describes. And, and so he's saying, I care about you. I've exhorted you pretty strongly up to this point. And now I, I want you to know how much I care about you. And I want to believe the best about you. So he's very tender here. And I love when tenderness is displayed in the scriptures. And so here we see him encourage them. And he says, I am confident, he says there, of better things concerning you. Things that accompany salvation. Now some people say, well, all these verses that we just looked at in in the first part of Hebrews 6, they were all hypothetical because they weren't relevant to to, to these uh, believers here because he says, I'm I'm confident of better things, things that accompany salvation as if they, you know, that those people aren't in danger like we talked about last week. And that's not what he's saying. He's just hoping all things. He's considering the best for them. He's hoping the best. He's believing the best. He's not saying that it's impossible for them to apostatize. He's just saying, we have hope for you. We're we're confident that this isn't going to be the final thing that's written over your life. 
that God is going to use these words that I'm writing to you to help you do a U-turn, to see the value that Jesus is better and that you won't deny the Lord. And so that's what I think he's getting at. We're told in 1 Corinthians 13 that love hopes all things. Love believes all things. And it doesn't mean that when, he, when it says love believes all things that it just you know, turns off the, we turn off our brains and we just believe anything that comes into our minds. Now, the scripture teaches against that. We need to be Bereans and test everything by the scriptures. But it's trusting, it's hoping, it's believing the best, it's giving the benefit of the doubt. It's, it's holding out hope for other people. Because God's involved and God never gives up on anybody. So as long as God's not giving up on anybody, we don't have the luxury to give up on anybody either. And so this writer is saying, I, I'm confident of better things concerning you. Things that accompany salvation. Salvation in the sense of not, you know, as Christians we receive the Lord and we receive salvation at that moment. He's talking about the deliverance of their bodies to heaven, getting their new bodies, that kind of salvation. Because he's talking about them enduring to the end. We've seen those three words, to the end, especially last week. We're supposed to have faith in the Lord and trust in him and and hold fast to our confession all the way to the end. And so, as we saw, there's different kinds of salvation. And this context is talking about actually being delivered from this world to heaven. So he's encouraging them. God can really use us in people's lives when we're serving from a heart posture of hope, of believing the best about people because God's involved in their life and he's pursuing them, whether they know the Lord or not. Those of us that know the Lord Jesus is still pursuing us in terms of beckoning us to be in a closer, more intimate relationship with him. He's still pursuing us. He still wants more time. What father that's a healthy father doesn't want more time with with his children? And so Jesus is calling out for us to go deeper into the things of him. And if we don't know him, he's calling to us to to enter in and engage him in that relationship for which we are created. And so he says, I'm going after you and I'm and I'm wanting to use believers to go after people. Just about maybe three weeks ago, I was at the gym and I've been praying for this woman named um, well, it doesn't matter what her name is right now, but uh, I'm reaching out to her. I've been preaching the gospel to her for over a year. I've given her a Bible with her name on it. I'm praying for her. And, you know, I just, I just see God pursuing her. I mean, he'd send a bonehead like me to go talk to her, you know, and be in this counseling, you know, this sales counseling session about a gym. I mean, we all know that I'm not Mr. Athletic and in shape and everything, and I'm at a gym. That's almost funny. <laughs> and so I'm there and I'm talking to her for about two hours. And I keep saying, you know, are you sure you don't have to do something else? I don't want to get you in trouble. Oh, no. She was hanging on every word because this, the harvest is ripe. Jesus said it's ripe unto harvest. We don't believe his assessment. And we know that because we're always amazed when someone receives the Lord or is open to what we have to say. If we believed his assessment of the harvest field, we would expect that and we would see that all the time. So here she's, you know, seeing that God is pursuing her. And she goes, I know, God is pursuing me. I, can, I know it. And I said, he's more stubborn than you. <laughs> he's more stubborn. He's going he's gonna to win. And, and so that's, that's what, how God wants to use us. And when we have that heart of hope towards people, when we're not giving up on them, and we're, you know, enduring these, these things that happen between us and other people, and we're holding out hope that they're going to make the right decision, God uses that to encourage 
people, and it's powerful. The second reason to not be discouraged from the passage is that God sees what we do for him. Look at verse 10. He says, For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. Now, this should forever settle the issue whether or not these believers are Christians. Nobody that's an unbeliever is doing this type of thing. So he's saying God remembers. Now, he's not saying because you've done all these things, you've gotten on God's good side, and now you can be confident that, you know, that you're never going to apostatize. He's not saying that. He's just saying that God hasn't forgotten. He hasn't forgotten what you've done. Because you're doing these things, I am hoping all things in the sense that you're going to continue in that confession and not do a U-turn and not deny the Lord and so forth. And so he's saying, I want you to be encouraged. Have you ever served and you kind of think that it's not making a difference? How many times do we see that in Scripture? It's not making a difference. It doesn't matter what I do. I'm being faithful. I'm being where God's called me to be. I'm doing the things in his strength. I'm doing them by his power. It's not making a difference. And the enemy loves to shout that to us. And he loves to whisper it to us. It's not making a difference. And it is making a difference. Far greater than we can ever imagine. Last night I was talking to my son, and I was talking to him about who he's going to be, going to be teaching him today in, in the children's ministry. And I said, uh, you know, Mr. Paul's going to be teaching you today. And he goes, oh, I'm so excited. Everybody loves Mr. Paul, you know, and I just felt like I should text Mr. Paul and tell him that. And I did. And he was so encouraged. Just a little text made such a difference in his life. But I wanted him to know, especially those that are serving in the children's ministry, it's long-term farming. You know, it's, it's, it's like you don't see anything for maybe a long time, but it's so powerful to be preemptively sowing God's word in their hearts. They need Jesus now. It's not just preparing them for adult life. They need Jesus now. There are plenty of demon-possessed kids in the New Testament, and, and maybe some of you say, I have one of those too, you know, I don't know. But, but there's, there's this, this power that comes through encouragement, and we can think that what I'm doing isn't doing any good, it's not making a difference, and we can think that it's very small in the grand scheme of things, and it's not. Paul, by the Spirit, goes out of his way to say, there's not one part of the body that's more important than another. And the eye can't say to the foot or the hand, I don't need you, and so forth. Every part is important. There's no part that's more significant than another part in the body of Christ. And so he sees it all. And notice he says it's a labor of love. It's work and labor of love. Sometimes people are surprised when they start serving the Lord that it actually costs them something. <laughs> you know, Wait a minute. I have to actually be here early or I have to give more of my time. And I just wanted to kind of do something that was fun. Well, you're not engaged in ministry. Ministry can be fun, and it's very rewarding, but there's sacrifice involved with ministry. It's work. It's labor. And he's saying God's not going to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown towards his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. In other words, you've had a past of being faithful in service, and you're presently serving and being faithful. And God's not going to forget that. And it's important for us to have this test our motives. Why do we do what we do for the Lord? Do we do it supremely for other people to notice or to meet some need in my life? Or do I supremely do it because he's watching and it's blessing his heart and it constitutes worship? I think it's important for that to search all of our hearts at any given time. But it's important for us to see from the verse that the Holy Spirit says it would be unjust for God to forget our works and our labor of love. And he's just. 
He can't be any more just than he already is. So he's not going to be unjust. He will remember our labor, and that needs to be a great encouragement for us because he notices everything we do. We look at the letters in Revelation when he's writing to the seven churches there. I bet you it surprised those churches when they heard that, that letter being read. Whoa, he, he knows about what we're doing, and he knows about, I mean, he has a lot of other churches he could be looking at, but he looked at the church of Ephesus, or he looked at our church, the church of Philadelphia, and he, he assessed our ministries and our motives and all the things that people can't see. Yeah, he's watching. He's watching everything that happened in every one of his churches. And so he tests our motives, and that's one of the things that it's going to be on display, at least before our eyes at the, at the uh, Bema seat judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, where we're standing before him and everything that we did for him is going to be tested regarding our motives and if we are led by the Spirit and all of that. And that which stands and, 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 and withstands that test of, of fire, so to speak, is going to be those things that are done in love and those, those, that are, those things that are done uh, as we were led by the Holy Spirit. So it's very important. So there's so much just encouragement related to he sees what we do for him. The third reason to not be discouraged is God provides examples of faith and patience for us to follow. Look at verses 11 and 12. He says, and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So he says you need to do imitations. Now, I'm not going to do any imitations. Some of you have been trying to get me to do some of those, but, you know. I can't sidetrack what God wants to do and then ascribe it to him because that will be discipline coming from, to me. So I won't do that. I won't uh, make it worse than it already is. But uh, we are supposed to imitate someone. We are supposed to imitate Christ and imitate others that uh, he has you know, provided for our lives to see. I love the people that we see in Scripture that have faith and patience that we see all through God's word. We have multiple examples from scripture. Just think of the Old Testament. Think of all the examples that we have. And he's going to get to that in chapter 11, you know, the famous hall of faith. And he's going to see, we're going to show us all these examples of faithfulness, of people having faith. Because faith isn't just doing what you hope God is leading you to do. And you take this step of faith, hoping that he backs you up. That's, that's presumption. There's a difference between presumption and faith. Faith is hearing God speak to you to do something specific, and then you obey that voice and you do it. It's not, well, let's just see if, you know. There, and there are times, I mean, we see that in Jonathan's life where he said, let's see if God's in this. You know, there are times where we just test the waters and put our feet there in the water a little bit, our toes, and, and we see. But in terms of how we see God work in a regular way, in a normative way in Scripture, they hear his voice, and they respond to what he calls them to do, and they are obedient. Steps of faith are not just steps of faith because I want it to happen in my life. It's an expression of obedience to him when we do something that he's called us to do. It takes faith, and sometimes we are so insecure because he always calls us to things that are far beyond our own capacity, or at least many times. All through the scriptures we see him call people to impossible things. So that they will depend upon him and because he'll get glory because of it. And so, you know, those of us that think, oh, you got the wrong guy. Uh, I'm not supposed to be doing that. Well, that may be the case legitimately, but many times he is calling us to do that. And it is far above our heads. 
But he wants us to be dependent upon him. And he usually doesn't allow us to be too ready for just about anything. I don't know if you notice that for your life. Anything that he's called me to do, I've never been ready for. Not once. You know that. You're going, man, you know that. We've seen it. Uh, but I never have felt ready, ever. Not once. And I never have felt even close to being ready. But then he, he gets all the glory when something happens and he goes, well, now you know it's not you, and everyone else knows it's not you, so uh, that's how I work, and so it's real encouraging. We also see examples in the New Testament. Did he have to really choose those disciples, the dream team there, you know, where they're fighting over who's the greatest? I mean, all the way to the end they're fighting about, what if the worship team here, or what if the leadership, or what if those that are serving here are constantly, every Sunday you come in, you hear them fighting about who's the greatest? How would that be for our fellowship? That would be a big bummer. And they're, they're working that whole angle all the way through to the very end. And in that context, the night before he's betrayed, Jesus says in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. He's speaking right into the context of that carnal fighting regarding who's the greatest, and he knows that their pride is completely smitten. And that's good for us to have happen in our lives. So, and the, but the pinnacle, the, the ultimate example, obviously, of having faith and, and patience and waiting is the Lord Jesus himself, trusted completely in the, in, the, in the Father all the way through his ministry. He had patience. He had to have patience with those disciples fighting you know, who's the greatest all the time, wanting to get the best seats and so forth. So we've been given all these examples in Scripture, but also God gives us examples, real earthly examples in our own lives. He provides examples for us. And it's up to us to be spiritually tuned in to see who the ones that he's provided in our lives as an example. And we learn. We say to our kids, you know, learn from other people's mistakes. Don't learn from your own mistakes. I mean, don't try to make it to where you don't have to make your own. You learn from other people's mistakes. And so he just provides these great examples for us in our lives, and it's up to us to recognize those people, to learn from them, and, and to uh, allow God to work in such a way to where we can uh, imitate them. Like Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. I mean, you don't be imitating people that aren't following Christ. They're going the wrong direction. But those that are following Christ that are good examples for us, we need to imitate them and be like them and, and seek to be like the Lord because that, that's what they're doing. And, and, and so that's supposed to be an encouragement. God has provided great examples for you and for me in the scriptures and, in, and even in your own life. And I know that'll be increasing uh, in your own life as, as you continue to walk with the Lord and same with me. But he's provided these great examples. That's an extension of God's grace and, and love towards us. And that's supposed to be an encouragement. Now notice in verse 12, he tells them not to become sluggish there. He says, and you do not, that you do not become sluggish. Now in chapter 5, verse 11, he says, you have become dull of hearing. It's the same Greek word. And I even used the example of it being sluggish, uh, the definition back when we were in chapter 5, verse 11. Sluggishness, I don't know if that's a word, but I'm using it anyway. Uh, sluggishness can definitely come from discouragement. Usually a super encouraged person isn't all that unfruitful. They're very fruitful. But when you get discouraged, it's hard for you to continue uh, being the, you know, fruitful in the way that you know that God's called you to be fruitful. And he's gracious and he has grace for that and he's patient and all of that. But 
we have to be very careful when we're going through difficulty and trials. Some of the first things to go is our service to the Lord. And sometimes that is appropriate. There is a pocket of time where that needs to happen. But there, way more than it should in the body of Christ, in my opinion, the people will put aside giving their lives away in the context of a difficult situation. And so often that's the time where we're the most fruitful because we're the most dependent upon the Lord. We're most yielded to him when we're going through a difficult time. And because of that, we have to be very careful about uh, laying aside that kind of service to him. And so he wants to encourage us in, in saying, don't be sluggish. Don't be unfruitful. Look at all your examples. Look at the examples of faith and patience that we see. Because he tells us that they, look at the, the last part of verse 12. He says, but imitate those who through faith and patience, last three words, inherit the promises. Because he's talking, about the, talking to them about enduring and, and persevering and having faith in the Lord even in the midst of, of, of difficulty. And what he's saying to them and to us is that it's always worth it. And we're going to see that in chapter 11 when we go through the hall of faith there. None of those people at the end of that, through that chapter, if you were to talk to them today, would say it wasn't worth it. Even the ones that didn't receive the fulfillment of what God had promised in this life, as we're told in that chapter, as we'll get to. They say it's worth it. Look at all the examples that you have. They all would say it's worth it. They're all in unity saying it's worth it. You need to believe that and, and, and receive that. So that's a good encouragement for us. The fourth reason to not be discouraged is that our earthly examples that he's given us weren't perfect. He says, and he's about to talk about Abraham as an example of someone who did inherit the promises and, and did persevere and so forth. But the question that we have to ask ourselves is, did Abraham have perfect faith? Did Abraham, uh, you know, have perfect patience? No. There were two times at least that we see that he didn't have faith and he was afraid, afraid for his life and his wife's life. And he kind of deceived and he, he did deceive. And he said that, you know, this is my sister and she was his half-sister but, but not, he wasn't making it seem like it was like that. You know, he, was, he, he wavered there, and he did it twice. And that's the one that we see in the hall of faith there, and God still puts him in the hall of faith. Or did he have per- perfect patience? No. God had promised a son, and he got ahead of the Lord. And that whole Hagar situation happened, and he tried to help God out. What a classic example of trying to help God out and getting ahead of the Lord is when he tried to... To, to have a son through, through that means and instead of waiting upon God. He wasn't perfect in patience. Abraham was not perfect in waiting upon the Lord. He's, he was really good in many ways, but he wasn't perfect. And that's encouraging to me because I'm not perfect in faith and I'm not perfect in patience. And I have a sneaking suspicion you're the same way. And God says, you can still be in the hall of faith. You can still be someone that I use as an example of someone that has faith and has patience and endures those things and finishes well and inherits the promises. That's really encouraging to me because we fall short all the time. And we're so aware of our own shortcomings, aren't we? And we think that somehow we're the, no one else in the body of Christ deals with the things that we do and no one else in the body of Christ fails like we fail and we think that everybody's different than us. Everybody's way more faithful, way more godly. They don't mess up. They don't waver as much as we do. And the enemy's just whispering and amplifying that in our hearts and in our minds. And it's a lie. We all struggle way more than we let on. 
And that's what God's working towards in our lives in the body of Christ is to be open and transparent instead of just saying, I'm fine, thanks, you know. And there are times where, you know, you don't, can't get into all the details of what's going on in your life and so forth. But to be transparent, say, I'm struggling, I need prayer. If we can't get that here, we can't be comfortable sharing those things and getting prayer from one another, where can we get it? God has set things up in the body of Christ so that we can be humble and let these things out so that people can pray. And that, that's where we get, we're going to get our power to, to be sustained through it. And so very encouraging to us. We, he hasn't, he's given us an example in his word, someone to look to, but that person did not have perfect faith and perfect patience at all. And God still used them uh, in, in a very significant way. That is encouraging. Verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could not swear by uh, no one greater, he swore by himself. So when you swear, it's usually, and I don't mean profanity, I'm talking about when you swear, like at a, uh, you know, tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth, help you God, or you, you say, I swear to God, or you swear by the, Jesus talked about swear, don't swear by the temple, and don't, you know, there's all these things that we always would swear to, but they're always greater. You don't say, you know, I swear by Alf, you know, or, or some, you know, fictional, uh, there's always going to be a sitcom that has to come into these things, unfortunately, but, you know, something that's, that's inferior, you don't swear by that, you know, you, 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 you swear by something greater. When I, was, when I was in high school, I had a couple friends that were really, I was really close with, and we had this little code where when we really wanted the other person to know that we weren't lying, <laughs> because it was just so common that we would lie all the time, we were just a bunch of liars, we really wanted to know, this is important, you need to know I'm really telling the truth, it's important, we would say, I promise. And sometimes we would be trying to get across something to our friends and we were trying to mess with them or something and they'd say, do you promise? And then we didn't want to say no because it would be a giveaway that we weren't telling the truth. So we'd say, well, that's, not, that's, that's going too far. We, I mean, you just need to believe what I'm, do you promise? No, I don't promise. Ah, you're lying, you know, and, and it was like this code, you know. So, but what's interesting is that God could not swear by someone greater than himself because there's no one greater than God. That's what he says there in the verse. He swore by himself. There was no one greater. Who's he going to say, I swear to so-and-so by? I mean, it's, he's, he's God. There's no one greater than him. Verse 14 saying, surely blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply you, talking to Abraham. And so after he had patiently endured, that is Abraham, he obtained the promise. God gave Abraham a promise. And even though Abraham wasn't perfect, he endured and he obtained the fulfillment of that promise. And so if you were to ask Abraham today, was it worth it? As difficult as it was, enduring, was it worth it? He would say, absolutely, it was worth it. And that's very encouraging to us because God's word is enough. Verse 16, for men indeed swear by the greater and an oath for confirmation is for them an end to all dispute. So mankind swears by something greater than himself, then they add an oath to it. And an oath is a confirmation that, that, that should be ending a dispute. You know, when you make an oath, okay, now I know they're serious. Like for us when we were kids, when I said, I promise, that ended all the dispute because we knew that that meant that I was telling the truth and we never violated that. So that's what it means by the end of verse 16 when it says, 
and an oath for confirmation is for them, that is mankind, an end of all dispute. So oaths are supposed to end disputes. They're, they're designed to end disputes. You know someone's telling the truth, supposedly, it's supposed to be that way, when they provide an oath. And, though, and then he continues in verse 17, Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, that's Abraham and his descendants, and even to us, we're, we're descendants of Abraham in the sense that we are children of faith because we believe in the gospel. Um, the, the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath. God gave Abraham an oath that what he promised would come to pass. He promised it, he told him what he was going to do, and then he provided an oath. Now, he didn't have to provide an oath. He didn't have to, but he wanted to, so he did. And so he says he confirmed it by an oath. He said what he said, he promised to Abraham and the heirs of promise, but he confirmed it by an oath. And he's, he's leading somewhere, he's going somewhere with this, as we'll see uh, coming up. That by two immutable things, verse 18, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. So the fifth reason to not be discouraged is that God's promises are reliable. That's the fifth reason to not be discouraged because he says these two immutable things. What things? What are the two immutable things? One, his promise, and second, his oath. Those are the two immutable things about which he speaks. Immutable means unchangeable. That's what immutable means. And so he's saying God gave, provided two unchanging things, his word and his oath, and they're sure, and it's impossible for him to lie. Now, what's the context for the Hebrew believers? They're, they're enduring persecution. They're do, enduring difficulty. He's telling them to endure and have faith in the Lord all the way to the end. And he's saying to them, all that God has provided for you in his word and what he said to you is enough. It's enough for you to trust and to uh, you know, flee to that which is a, a refuge for you. And the picture really is the cities of refuge in the Old Testament. There were three cities on each side of the Jordan where they could flee if they committed a murder and it wasn't murder, it was manslaughter. They could stay in those cities until the high priest died and then they could go back into society. And these were Jewish believers. They knew all about this, you know, fled for refuge idea that was very Jewish, that, did that, that they knew exactly what that meant. And they were saying, now there's a different city of refuge, so to speak. It's, it's heaven and we can approach God and he's going to get to that in a moment in a very profound way. And notice he says a strong consolation. Consolation means comfort. It's a strong comfort for us to know that these unchanging things, his word and his oath there, are provided for us to have confidence that we are going to lay hold of this refuge that we get to enjoy as believers. So it's, it's, it's important for us to see that whatever his plan is for our lives, because he has his general leading in his word, but then he has specific leading for our individual lives, whatever he's called us to do, whatever he's promised for our lives, whatever he's told us, you know, whatever he's told us and we're trusting in the fulfillment of that someday, uh, those things are going to come to pass. And just like imperfect Abraham, he's going to use flawed people like us as we uh, stand strong and stand firm in faith and patience. He's going to fulfill those things and we're going to see the fulfillment of his promises. 
Maybe God's told you something a long time ago as a new believer, and he said, this is going to happen in your life. You need to trust that. And so often the things that he brings into fulfillment happen way further out than we could ever imagine. We see that so often in Scripture, where he says something and people assume that it's a near fulfillment, but he's talking a long time away, a long time away. But we're supposed to hold fast and hold our confession and believe him all the way to the end. The sixth and final reason to not be discouraged from this passage is we have amazing access to God. He says in verse 19, This hope we have as an anchor for the, of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence, notice capital P there, enters the pre- presence behind the veil. Now, of course, the Old Testament, I mean, the, the Jews are, this, this writer is uh, assuming that this Old Testament imagery and these Jews would, would, would understand what he's talking about. It takes us a little more work to understand what he's saying. But again, the picture is the tabernacle and the temple. And that high priest would go in once a year on the Day of Atonement, and he would come and he would make a sacrifice in the Holy of Holies alone. And that would make atonement, that would cover their sins for, the, for that year. And then it would roll them ahead. And it would keep doing that all the way until the death of Christ where he would atone. And, and, and the different definition is he would take away our sin once and for all. And so he says that imagery is, is improved with the Lord Jesus being a better high priest. And we've already covered that a little bit. But he says that we have an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. And that hope enters the presence behind the veil. We have to see that. Our hope transcends into heaven. Because our high priest is in heaven. So our hope goes behind the veil. And that's, that's not uh, uh, you know, something that we can just pass over. We, we need to have a, a hope that's, that anchors our soul. You know, I remember as a kid learning about anchors. You know, and I would, here we go with another sitcom. But uh, you know, I'd watch uh, The Love Boat. Shouldn't be watching that as a young boy. Um, but I was watching it. And I remember those big anchors just going into the water. And I was amazed that those anchors could actually hold that big of a ship in place. And that's interesting about anchors is that um, they can hold, hold something in place, a big ship, far greater than the size of the anchor itself. And what's interesting about anchors, too, is that you never know what the anchor is actually holding on to underneath the water. It's out of your sight. It's, out of, it's past your vanishing point, your, your vanishing point. So with us as believers, our anchor is ahead of us. It's not behind us. It's ahead of us. And it's past what we can see, just like with the real anchor is in the water past what we can see. But it's anchoring us ahead of, of where we're going. And it's holding us firm uh, in that place, into the presence behind the veil. The presence of Jesus, the presence of God, our hope that is founded upon two immutable things that can't change, his word and his oath, takes us into his presence and, and secures our soul by an anchor that goes beyond what we can see. And that's why we have a superior faith than what they had in, in the Old Testament. It's a beautiful thing, and that's supposed to be very encouraging to us. Now, notice in verse 20, he closes with this, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So Jesus is our forerunner. Now, a high priest, even Aaron himself, would never be referred to as a forerunner because the high priest could never bring anyone with him into the Holy of Holies. 
You can't have a forerunner if there's no one that's going to follow you, <laughs> you know. There's no runner behind you who is the forerunner. So you have to picture this for them. It would be so amazing for them to hear or read that this Jesus was a forerunner going into the Holy of Holies and entered, notice, for us. He entered on our behalf. He entered for us, even Jesus, and he became our high priest forever. No high priest would ever last forever. They would last till they died. But, but with the order of Melchizedek, it's totally different. And, and so here we have the high priest in a model of something that was a copy of what the real heaven's like. And that high priest that oversaw that copy could not bring anyone with him into the very presence behind the veil. But we're told here in Scripture that because we have a high priest that is a better high priest who's passed through the heavens into the Holy of Holies. He goes before us. He's a forerunner before us. He goes into heaven before we get to heaven, and he anchors our soul behind uh, the veil in his presence. And that's a great, great encouragement to us to know that we have that access to God. Because when we're discouraged, you don't feel like you have access to anything except the fridge. (laughs) Open it up again. Are you hungry? Nope. But we're looking to see what's our options here. I'm discouraged. I am escaping. Yes, I will say it. I will admit it. I'm escaping. I'm in the fridge. That's where we deal with things. We go behind the veil of that refrigeration door, that fridge door, uh, more often than going behind the presence of the veil up, up in heaven. But he says, bring your, come boldly into the throne of grace and make your request to him and cast these things upon him because his shoulders can bear it. He can handle anything that we cast on him. And he, he, will, he would loves to do it. He's waiting. Pass it over to me. Give it to me. I want to take it, but I have to hold it. I have to hold on to this thing. It's my cross to bear. You know, I have, no, give it to me. I want to, get, I want to take it from you. And we hold back. And he says, just know that you have a forerunner that's gone before you. He's been your example, and he's made access now. I've demonstrated that by tearing that veil when Jesus died to demonstrate that the Father has made all access for mankind, ripped that veil from top to bottom, that's when the priesthood ended. There's 15 high priests that occurred after that time. It was all completely um, illegitimate. There was total access for us, and there is total access for us, and that is encouraging for us. His promises are true. He's given us great, amazing, imperfect examples in in the scriptures and in our own lives of what faithfulness looks like and so he's given us access he's he hasn't forgotten our labor of love and so if you're here today and you're discouraged God wants to lift your head he could have taken any of these verses and you know sown them in your heart or encourage you in ways far beyond anything that anyone else even thought of but he wants to encourage you today get your eyes on him he's much greater than anything that you're going through And he loves you. He cares about everything that concerns your heart. Everything. There's nothing that's going on in your life that he doesn't care about. So cast your cares upon him, the scripture says, because he cares for you. And let's all bear one another's burdens, thus fulfilling the law of Christ, we're told. That's that's when we all when one of us suffers, we all suffer. We're told that in scripture. So we need to be very careful to be prayerful about how we encourage and what we say and what we do when we engage God's people. There's incredible encouragement for us today, and he just loves to, he loves to express it. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the wealth of your word. 
Thank you for your encouragement. Pray that your Holy Spirit would brood upon us in a special way. Lord, would you lift your people's heads today? Help them to see how great you are and how big you are. And I pray, Lord, that all of us would be available for one another. At any given moment, for your Spirit to prompt us to just ask how someone's doing or to ask if we can pray for them or to use a spiritual gift that you've given us, to read a verse, whatever it is, Lord, there's so many different ways that your body can minister to itself. So lead us, Lord. Guide us. We don't want to be islands to ourselves. We want to be other-centered as you are. And help us, Lord, to ask for help when we're discouraged and to be vulnerable and to be transparent, Lord, so that you can use that humility to, to bring forth life through your people in our lives. We thank you for how great you are and you've thought of everything. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.